0: I am so excited about this week's show. Get ready because we're going to Leapers Fork, Tennessee and the 500-acre farm owned by country music icon Naomi Judd. Hi, it's Candy O'Terry. Now, Naomi and her daughters, Winona and Ashley, are known all around the world. Naomi and Winona as the Judds, country music's most successful duo with 25 singles, 14 number one songs, and five Grammys. And Ashley is a successful actress and activist. The road to stardom was long and hard, but Naomi Judd never gave up. Miss Naomi, welcome to the story behind her success. Thank you for having us here. Well, glad to have you as visitors. Do you ever sit back in your favorite cozy chair, wherever it is here that you just feel most at home, and marvel at how far you and your daughters came? I think
1: every minute. You can't be as poor... As I was, and as scared, and gone through as many tragedies. I'm talking about torture and rape and beatings and really unbelievable stuff. You can't go through all that stuff without it coloring every day. The people I meet, the things that people say to me are hidden in my heart. They
0: think they know me, and I really cherish that. My hope in doing this interview with you is just that I hope that you can inspire any woman who feels like she just can't make it like she's up against it because as you say there's always hope mm. let's go back to you're a teenager and you give birth to Winona. I guess it was just a couple weeks before you were supposed to graduate from high school right? no it
1: was actually graduation night May 30th 1964 I had been date raped in August the night before my senior year started by a, a football player in town that heard I was alone. I was left alone to take care of the kids. I was the oldest in a big family. And I got pregnant the first time I had sex. So then three months later when I called him to say I thought I was pregnant, he said, well, tough luck kiddo. I hung up the phone and we never heard from him, ever. And then what happened? I had to marry
0: the town jerk to have a roof and a name. Yeah. You, you moved to Los Angeles with your first husband. And then Ashley is born Mm -hmm. soon after. How did you earn a living at that time in your life?
1: Well, remember, I just barely had a high school diploma that they sent me in the mail. My senior year, they kicked me out of school, which was unbelievably scandalous. I was the town good girl. I made straight A's. I played piano at the First Baptist Church on Winchester Avenue every Sunday. So all of a sudden, here I am. Shamed. Yeah. And they thought, if I was sort of the hero girl then they didn't want any of the other girls looking up to me I didn't have any skills I'd never worked a day in my life so I got a divorce from Michael and got a house off the Sunset Strip that was only $350 a month rent and I could walk both of them to their school and back in that climate and I got a job as a receptionist
0: I read that you were once a secretary for the fifth dimension. Is yes. that true? Yes. Up, up, and away in my beautiful balloon, right? Yeah. What was that like? It's the Donny of Aquarius. Well, I had to have
1: some place that was within eight blocks because if I, it was longer than that, I'd be too so tired by the time I walked to work. So I'm working in this guy. Mark Gordon was their manager. He was married to Florence, in this, one of the singers. And I was working as a receptionist because that's all I knew how to do. And I was terrified. I didn't even feel capable or qualified to do that. But came time for family birthday cards and I went back in the office supply room where the fax machine and everything was and I used their stamp machine but I put the money back in the little change box and the Jeanette who was the head of the whole kit and caboodle everything, the supervisor, she came up to me very sternly, wasn't a very happy person, she said, Miss Naomi Judd did you put those quarters and nickels in that little box? And I said, yes, ma'am, because I want to repay you for your stamps. And she said, come with me. She took me in and she said, this is Mark Gordon. You're now his secretary.
0: You know, I, if I can tell you that um, I was a single mom as well, and the first Christmas that I spent working full-time in radio as the secretary to the program director, because it was the only job I could get, just a foot in the door, Right my first Christmas, I did exactly what you just said. I stayed after work, I was making out my Christmas cards, and there was a box next to the stamp machine, and I paid them back for my stamps. So you and I are connected on that.
1: (laughs) Michael took us out there for a job. I didn't like that culture Mm -hmm. back then. I didn't want my kids growing up that way. I wanted them to know where they came from, to have some values, and I happen to know enough about psychology to know that by the time a child is three, they have a winner or a loser attitude about themselves, and by the time they're eight, their personality is formed. So, I was doing this job, it was pretty much minimum wage, I was a paycheck away from the street every night, and then there was a guy that lived next door to us that was awfully cute. I mean, like looked like James Dean, that's what I called him, drove a little blue Corvette and he was something. We went dancing a couple of times, and he was a great dancer. I'd never dated before. He just swept me off my feet because he was so flattering, and he kept telling me I could do it. And while I was at work, he'd come by and run the vacuum, do a load of laundry. I just couldn't get over it. Then one night, he slapped me across the face real hard, and I had no clue that this kind of stuff existed. My mom and dad never even hugged or said they loved us in front of us. But anyway, told him I never wanted to see him again, and he moved in across the street so he could watch me from an upstairs apartment. He broke in, and he tortured me, um, and he beat me real bad. And then he raped me, and then he shot up heroin, and when he took his second dose of heroin, he passed out. So I grabbed the girls and went to the sheriff's station al dugas was the deputy sheriff that took care of my case and he showed me this guy's sleeve he called it said he was a bad actor which means he's not a good guy he had a long record and he said honey you have to get out of town now he said this guy is really dangerous it was a major turning point in our lives i went to a cheap motel which was down from the west hollywood Sheriff station on san vincente boulevard my left eye was swollen shut my lip was real swollen, and I was bloody. I had blood all over me. I had blood on the kids, too, from Carrie and oh. Ashley. But I remember the clerk at the Holloway Motel took one look at me. I didn't have my purse. I mean, I ran. didn't have any money. I didn't have a credit card or anything. He let us have a room. Wow. And that night, while I was in that room, I thought, you know, this is it. i got to get out of here. So I called my daddy the next morning, and daddy ran a gas station he didn't have any money but he sent one-way plane tickets home to kentucky
0: so let's talk about this place in kentucky because i keep reading about it and i want to hear you tell me about the mountaintop home and i'm wondering if there was music there oh your (laughs) smile is great when you think about it right
1: when we moved in no one can appreciate unless you've been through it going from the overstimulation of hollywood and that culture and all of a sudden you're on a stinking mountaintop in kentucky and you don't have a telephone or a tv we couldn't afford anything and there were no neighbors and winona girls
0: must have thought you took them to the land of oz or something (laughs) winona kept
1: saying i'm calling child protective services That was her daily mantra, and I would say, okay, go call.
0: (laughs) We have no phone, by the (laughs) way.
1: (laughs) Ashley was more okay with it, but Winona was just furious. She was inconsolable.
0: At some point, she gets a guitar, and I'm wondering, if you were in such a tough place, how did you afford a guitar for your daughter?
1: I had a buck knife I traded.
0: Really? I traded my buck knife. It was a good one. Let's talk a little bit about your decision to become a nurse. I feel like you probably were in a situation where you needed to have a job that would give you a future. I wanted to help people, and I had to have a
1: job that paid on Friday, had to get out of the welfare system. Aid to Families with Dependent Children is what they called it, AFDSC. So. Kentucky had a really great nursing program because when I called and asked how their nurses scored percentage-wise in the state boards, they had really high score graduates. So I went to Eastern Kentucky State University, which was an hour from our little house up on the mountain. So I would row across the Kentucky River. Otis Horn, H-O-R-N, was the <laughs> ferry guy. So he'd come over and meet me. I'd ring a bell. It was like you know, six o'clock in the morning. Oh my goodness. At that time, this is before we found the house on the mountain. There was an interim period of a couple of months where we had to live in this house that was a fishing camp, didn't have heat. So I had to get up like a 4.30, bust up the chunks of coal, put them in the coal burning stove in the kitchen. So all we had have the kids ready. We'd ring for Otis Horn to come over to our side. He'd take me across on the ferry and then I'd take the <laughs> girls to the Ancy family because they all went to the same schools that Juanona and actually were going to. And then I'd go on to Richmond, Kentucky. So we were going through this and it was about to kill me. Boy, does that sound like a long day. And nursing is hard. Oh, yes. And the girls had their homework, so we'd do our homework around the old pot-bellied wrought iron stove. But one day I was down in the little town of Berea and I saw an old lady fall. And of course I jerked over and picked her up and took her home and the next thing I knew there was a letter in our mailbox saying go to this place this house is called Chanticleer and that's where
0: we lived on the mountaintop so that's how you got that house yeah it was magic I mean, <gasps> what did you learn from that period in your life about resiliency I mean it sounds like you had the weight of the world on your shoulders
1: I did and The scariest part was my two kids who were my life. Every bad move I made, I knew that they were somehow taking that in. All of us mothers try to put our kids first. I would get out of the bread in the morning, and I would be freezing cold in this house that was uh, only 18 degrees outside. And I would have to go bust up chunks of coal and heat the house and make sandwiches for our lunches because we couldn't
0: afford 30 cents for the school lunch. When you got your diploma... In the mail. How did that feel? It must have been a great moment in your life. That was the
1: first time I ever felt validated. And that's what was so cool about all the awards. We were undefeated at every single award show, and mm-hmm. every single one was a tremendous sense of relief for me that finally I was getting on the right path. And I hoped that I didn't have any more of the really scary, scary, yeah. scary, scary dark days behind me. When we lived on the mountaintop, There was no washer and dryer in that old house, and I didn't have money to go to the wishy washy So I got a ringer washing machine, Maytag, and we washed our clothes on Saturday night I listened to the Grand Ole Opry, and I popped some
0: corn. They made a little ritual of it. So you moved to Nashville, and I've read, Naomi, that you really worked hard to try to get some doors to open up for you and Winona, that you had a little cassette tape. Can you tell me that story? Oh, I went to Kmart and got a little cassette player,
1: remember it was 30 bucks because it took me a while to save that much, Why? and I would sing into that, and then I would put her to bed and I would go back, I got another tape recorder, and I would put a blank one in, I would play that one, and then I would sing
0: along a third with that. There was a moment when you took care of someone's child and that person wasn't in the record business and tell me the rest of that story
1: he came out to hear you guys sing well now we're in nashville at first we lived in a cheap motel on murfreesboro road it was pretty pitiful and the three of us slept in one bed and we had a lot of bologna and crackers and to this day wonona nashley will not eat bologna and crackers
0: This is the second thing for you and me as single moms. I'm going to tell you my story. I used to buy Kraft macaroni and cheese, which was three for a dollar. And then at the end of the week, if I had any leftover money, I would buy some Oscar Mayer hot dogs and I would chop them up and stir them up inside the macaroni and cheese. And I'd be like, ta-da, here it is, kids. Things are going pretty well over here. And to this day, my children, if they see hot dogs at all, they're like, Mom, are we poor again? Do we have to eat these hot dogs? Don't don't give me any macaroni and cheese. Isn't it funny how they remember stuff like that? Oh, yeah. So along comes this guy who comes to listen to your music. Tell me about that day.
1: Well, I took care of his daughter in the hospital. I was head nurse in ICU which is extremely, extremely stressful. And you really have to know your stuff to be able to do that. But you go in and you're in the trenches. And it took every nerve that I had so that by the time I came home, I remember there were times where I couldn't get out of bed. There were a couple of times where I had to pull double shifts because they didn't have anybody qualified to do what I was doing. And after like 48 hours, on the floor in that unit i, just, I couldn't even move emotionally and physically <laughs> exhausting yeah and spiritually so there was this guy named brent Mayer, and when his daughter was discharged from the hospital i was very professional i asked if i could give him a little cassette and he had it in his car I mean, he's like this big time guy so he just had it in his ashtray in his car and a couple of weeks later he said he was driving home and he just ran off the road listening to this stuff and he thought, that's wacky. I have no idea how they did that, what's going on, who they are. And that was it. Well first, we have to go in, and Wynonna and I were not speaking to each other. Her rabbit ate my aloe vera plant. (laughs) So I I put the darn thing out in the field, and she was hysterical. And I brought that plant all the way from California. I was so pissed at her. I didn't. I didn't give a flip about that damn rabbit, so she wasn't speaking to me. Just looked out the window the whole way to the RCA live audition, and we get there and they wanted the four biggest guys: Joe Galani, the head, the vice president, the head of A and R, and the other guy. So they said it'd be just a minute while well, they corralled all of them. So I did what was what seemed normal to me. I went in the bathroom and smoked a doobie. <laughs>
0: Just because you needed to calm yourself down a little bit, I really needed
1: to calm myself down.
0: So I'm in the bathroom getting high. and Everybody in the room is laughing. You guys don't get into my tape laughing over there. I had
1: no idea that it was across from the meeting room. And there was just a cloud of smoke going right across this little hall, right (laughs) under that door. (laughs) What did you sing? I was a little bit more in control than Winona. The kid was literally shaking. How old was she at the time? Seventeen. So I thought, okay,
0: I, held I have off. to be the mommy here along with being the talent at the same time, right? It's always the way it's been. I had
1: to hold her hand and I said, okay, here's the deal. These are just guys. These are just men. And we're going to go sing a, the sweetest gift of mother Smile for them which is one of the first songs we ever learned on the back porch at Chanticleer when we were watching a storm coming in. I'll never forget it. And I said, I want you to look at me. I'm your mom. You know I'm going to take care of you. Nothing's going to happen. Just look in my eyes and let's sing the song. And once she got going, and I, I remember I had my hand on her knee. Were you sitting down or we, standing we, up? Were, we were sitting down. Okay. And. said keep going keep going so we sang a couple of more songs and then she was starting to get into groove because what she knows to do is to play the guitar so all of a sudden she looks at me and she goes okay mom let's do that song that she wrote last night i thought i was going to break the guitar over her head
0: (laughs) this is not the time to try things that we haven't practiced yet right but i'm not sure i know the
1: words to because i was up all night writing this song called change your heart and by golly she remembered the words i had on a piece of paper in my pocket and she sang it tony brown was there tony brown would later become the head of one of the biggest record labels tony brown turned to this guy and under his breath he said if that ain't a number one song i'll quit
0: and it was your first single wasn't it yeah
1: I heard him say that, and I just went, oh, my God, I think... It's happening. I think. You
0: must have felt like it's
1: happening now. And then they said, we want you to go over to the little restaurant, O'Charlie's next door, Get you something to eat, and wait for us, and we'll be over in a minute. And I thought, why can't you tell us now? I can't wait that long. I can't hold my breath that long. So I go over to the front windows across the old RCA building, and... When I looked down, it's on the third floor, there were all these people with guitars on their backs and all the people that wanted to be doing what we were doing, and I just had a good cry and I thought, okay, hold it together. It's not done yet. This is looking pretty prosperous right now, but I'll never forget looking out the windows at those people.
0: So you get the news that you're signed to this record deal. And on that day, things must have just switched like that for you. At least you knew you were doing something that you loved, that you could make some money in, but also that you could put your own stamp on that was an expression. You've got all this talent. So we've got 25 singles between 1983 and 2000. 14 of those songs are number one songs. My question for you is, duetting is an art and it there's that give and that take and the parts that you're singing, and I'm just wondering, did that come naturally for you and Winona? I don't know. It I, was magic. I, I, then. I
1: honestly don't. We've never had a music lesson in our lives. We just were mother and daughter, and I always had to stand on Winona's right because I can watch her eyebrows whether they go up or down, and. Eighty-five percent of all communication is nonverbal. I know that. So we will watch each other's body languages. It's hillbilly stuff. Like we have what we call Cummins and Golems. Lean into the microphone and then you pull back. Hold, so holding it, holding it, sustain. But you pull back off the mic. One time we were doing the Johnny Carson show. I just love Johnny Carson, and Doc Severinsen was his band leader, and we were doing a song called Grandpa. Uh, that was number one. Tell me about the good old days. And Doc comes over toward me and I'm, I'm just so nervous because we've never done TV. We don't know from anything. He's got a whole orchestra there and it's just thinking tonight's show. So he comes over and he goes, Naomi, how did you learn to do that weird harmony? And I
0: just stared at him. <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. It just happened for you. Songwriting is an art, and you've written some beautiful songs. My favorite is Love Can Build a Bridge, and our mutual friend J.C. Valeris walked down the aisle to that song. People love it all around the world. Tell me how that song came together for you. I won Songwriter of the Year,
1: and I have no idea what to tell people. Sometimes the melody comes to me. Sometimes the thought comes to me first, then it becomes words. Sometimes they come out together. But Villa Bridge, okay, so every day we're in a different town, we wake up in a different city. America's so different. You know, we're in Midtown Manhattan where a guy panhandles, or we're in Minnesota where the cold is rotten. So we're in Medford, Oregon, and it was fall. I would, would take my little dog Banjo out for a walk so I could just talk to shopkeepers and a kid on a bike, a guy with the lawnmower and i saw a homeless guy on a bench and it just dripped me it just hurt my heart so bad and his foot was uh he had something white wrapped around his foot and there was blood and i thought wow it's going to get colder does anybody care does anybody know he's here what can i do and i looked at my watch and it was about time to go back for crew dinner and then sound check into the show but it tormented me so the whole time we were singing the concert then we go back on the bus I take off my rhinestones Mm. get in my flannel pajamas and crawl in the bunk and I stayed up all night and wrote the words and then I called my friend John Jarvis who used to be a session player on our records and I said I can do this by myself I have a melody but I really want to fast track
0: it so I'm going to ask you to write the, the music for it at the peak of your career you're diagnosed with hepatitis C Doctors tell you, you've got about three years to live. You are still here all these years later. What was your mindset, and how did you get through that? When the doctor in his white lab coat, who was head
1: of GI at the Mayo Clinic, I won't say his name, told me I had three years to live, the first thing I said was, let me see the biopsy under the electron microscope, because I'm a nurse and I could tell it looked like two years, actually. There was fibrosing and bridging and everything and i thought hell no i'm not giving up now but i had to come off the stage my bus driver galen who became like my brother he would take me to the stage in a golf cart and then he would sit on a stool on my side of the stage and if i pulled on my right ear that meant i'm going down i'm passing out so come get me
0: i watched your farewell final concert last night Hmm. in preparation for coming to see you today Because I wanted to watch you on that stage, knowing what I knew, that this was your farewell tour because you were so sick. Naomi, you have a certain energy, a chemistry, a love that emanates from you when you perform. And the audience, no matter whether there's 100 people in the room or 40,000 people in a stadium, they all feel you. Wow. How do you do that? I don't know. It's beautiful.
1: It's I kn- beautiful. I know that I love people so deeply that there are a lot of times when, and I did it the other day, I was going into Target. I stopped before I went through the door and I did this, and I literally put myself like in this glass bubble because I can feel people. I'm so intuitive. I'm so empathic.
0: Ah. I can pick up on people's stuff. A couple questions before we come toward the end of the interview, and I ask everyone who sits where you are today to answer these couple questions. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? Two things. One is I try to outsmart
1: it. If I can't outsmart it, there's a concept called radical acceptance, I learned that there are certain things that you absolutely cannot change. It's not within your power or your reach to do it. So what you have to do, what is up to you, is to let
0: it go. At the beginning of the show, we talked about the hard times, the adversity that you've been through. And we shared that as a hope of people hearing your story, that you could empower them by your message. What do you say to someone who's facing something frightening, something violent, a wall she can't seem to get past? What words of wisdom can you share with someone today? Know that that I'm
1: out here. I care. I've been through an alphabet of tragedies and trials, and I'm still here. At each one of them, I wasn't sure I was going to make it at all but I just kept like the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. One of the important things is to find people to help you, and I never had anybody to help me. Trust is the single most important emotion, so you might have to find somebody that you can trust to give you ideas, and I've got a circle of girlfriends. We're called the Divine Sisters of the Yaya Sisterhood after a movie actually did, and there have been times when we would get together and try to help someone who's going through something. Reba lives across the road, and I told her about the divine secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, and she wants to be initiated. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be a fun experience. There's an actual initiation ceremony that I came up with. Oh, that's fun. So one of the things also is to admit
0: to yourself, what role are you playing in this? Mm. That came late to me. What does success mean to you, Naomi Judd, right now at this moment, sitting here in your beautiful studio? And thank you again for letting us come into your life today. I've been so poor, (laughs) so it's really nice to be able to
1: know that the land is paid off and the cars and I've got a home. And biggest things are this man that's sitting right here beside me. His name is Larry Strickland. He's very handsome. He's the best success story of all. And then the fact that Ashley calls me every single day
0: she's a busy gal I want to say thank you so much for being our guest today Naomi Judd thank you so much you want to be one of the divine secrets of the IA sisterhood yes please (laughs) we can indoctrinate you oh yeah please (laughs) wow what an experience thank you so much for listening if you liked this interview I sure hope you'll subscribe to the story behind her success podcast And leave a review. Reach out anytime on social at Candy Oterry Official or by email, candy at candyoterry.com. And remember Naomi's inspiring words. Anytime you feel like you just can't make it, be like the little engine that could and tell yourself, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. If she can do it, you can do it too.